Hello, and welcome to the Hearn Him Podcast. I'm Dale. And I am Tamara. And when two theologians get married, what you get is a podcast. You know, probably one of the best ways to start a podcast is with a startling statistic. All right. Hit me with it. According to a 2019 Barna survey. Who? Oh, Barna. Barna Group. Okay. Yep. I know who that is. <laughs> okay. According to 2019 survey, roughly 47% of millennials agree at least somewhat that it is wrong to share your personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in the hopes that they will one day share the same faith. That's actually really startling. Yes, that's, that's not a good number. It's not it's not great. This is compared to 27% of Gen Xers, 19% of baby boomers and 20% of elders. And we don't have any numbers on Gen Z, but we could probably expect that the number for them would be over 50% of them would at least somewhat agree that it is wrong to share your faith with someone in the hope that they would convert to your faith. Yikes. So in the coming generation, roughly half, if not more, of American evangelicals would agree that it is wrong to evangelize, at least somewhat agree. And why do you think that is? Well, I think there's a number of things that are leading to those numbers being on the rise. Hmm. And I think part of it is that in the Western world, we live with increasing diversity. And so many of us have come to know and love and really understand on many levels the, the faiths of other people and how important they are and how tied to their cultures they are and uh, their different perspectives. And so I think exposure has in some ways decreased a sense of other when it comes to other religions. And so there may be a sense that you don't want to step on that. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one reason. What do you think? Well, I think the culture itself and the way that we're moving has really shaped this belief and this premise that it's wrong to share your faith in hopes of somebody being converted. Uh, and that's because we live in a postmodern society where truth is not black and white. Truth is relative and truth is dependent upon what you believe. You might have a truth that's different from my truth, which is very counter to what true means anyways. But I think that's really shaping a large part of the new generation. It is interesting though that we live in a world that's very much democratized. So even yeah. the fact that we are able to record this podcast and broadcast it without any interference from, you know, a, a large organization or government regulations, we can just put it out there because of the marvels of the internet and some microphones that we bought on Amazon. Uh, so many things have been democratized. Everybody has a platform. And so even truth itself has seemed to be democratized. Hmm. That's and, a good point. And so yeah. it, it, it's privatized and democratized. And so if it works for you, then it works. And I'm not going to yuck your yum. And I'm going to let you have your belief. Because if it works for you, it works. And mm -hmm. living in a modern society, an advanced society, a, an affluent society, every whatever everyone has, it seems to be working for them. And so... There is this sense in which younger people, millennials and Gen Z behind them, 
and say, well, why would I rip something away from someone to, to give them what I have just because I think what I have is better? Yeah. I mean, it's certainly counter to the gospel and what we see truth be based on the gospel, but I can understand the foundation behind it, the way that we view all of life, that I don't want to be offensive and I want to be accepting and I want to allow you to be who it is that you want to be because previous generations were very rigid about those things, very rigid about what was acceptable and unacceptable. Those categories were very defined in all of life from small things to large things. And now those categories are not as defined. I was just actually talking to my hairstylist the other day and her son has really long hair. He's in elementary school and she's considering putting him into a private Christian school and that private Christian school won't let him in unless he cuts his hair. Yeah, it has to be off the shoulder, right? Yeah. It, has to be, it can't touch <laughs> yeah. your collar. Yeah. It's just very interesting because those categories are a lot more fluid now. You know, it's acceptable for a man to have long hair. It's acceptable for a woman to have short hair. It's acceptable to have pink hair, purple hair. Like there's more acceptance of you identifying um, yourself and your creativity through style and through all these other choices. So I think that's great that parts of society are becoming more acceptable but we're seeing that idea of we don't want to offend we just want to accept everyone roll into areas of life that there should be a little bit more definition yeah and i think it's important for us to say that we are not in the 47 percent of millennials that would at least somewhat agree that it's wrong to share your faith with someone in the hopes that they would be converted to your faith we're in the 53% of millennials who would actually agree with the statement that it's wrong not to do that as mm-hmm. a Christian. And so as we're just kind of analyzing why it is the way it is, we're not approving of it, but it it is important to understand why it is that there's such a shift from generation to generation in an understanding of what is right and wrong, and then address it kind of on its own terms I think one thing for me when it comes to evangelism in Western American evangelicalism that's also playing into this for millennials that grew up in the church like me is we've been equipped with tools, tactics, strategies for evangelism that worked really well for the baby boomer generation and to a lesser extent, but still a large extent, Gen X that absolutely don't work. They may work on individual levels with, you know, uh, any given person, but in terms of overall effectiveness in a large swath of humanity in the Western world, they they aren't effective. And I'm talking about things like evangelism explosion or uh, the what four spiritual mean? laws. The yeah. because I I don't think I grew up in the same. Oh like, yeah, so evangelism explosion. That you did, so I these are unfamiliar terms to me. Yeah, so evangelism explosion was a book, and then it w- it got turned into a class, like in the nineteen eighties. Okay. Uh, I think this is where the whole if you died tonight and God asked you why you should get into heaven, what would you say? Got it. That whole mm-hmm. thing. I think that was from Evangelism Explosion. Four Spiritual Laws was 
originally something that Campus Crusade for Christ used to use. They don't use it anymore. Someone that starts with God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And then I forget what the other three laws are. Mm. But um, by and large, these kind of frameworks and scripted conversations that go back and forth that were given to us, they were super effective for the baby boomer, boomer generation. But many of the tactics that we have been given to use are ineffective and sometimes actually intellectually offensive to millennials because they're just working with a different set of perspectives. Right. There's a different starting place. Yeah. And so for millennials who have like tried these tactics and they're just like getting punched in the face verbally or physically, I don't know. It's kind of <laughs> like, well, is what we're doing here really, really working? Mm-hmm. And for some, like me, it, my thought is, well, we just need to come up with better tactics. But for others, it's like, well, maybe we just need to give up on this whole project because mm-hmm. people seem to be doing just fine as it is. Yeah. I can see where giving up would feel like the right thing to do, but especially when what what you're not doing what you're doing is not effective, and the world outside you, uh, around you, is telling you that it's wrong to begin with. So then the temptation to give up is that much stronger, right? But the issue with that is then you're actually going against biblical mandates that God has set out and Jesus himself spoke before he ascended into heaven. He gave very clear proclamations of what Christians are to do. And I mean, there's that. The devil's in the details, really. (laughs) Right. I mean, it's hard to evangelize today because of the models that we were given that seem to have worked before. And I know I've tried certain models and thought, wow, I just really suck at evangelizing. Like, I am really terrible at this. And for Jesus to have come and fully transform me and for him to be the center of my life and and what gives me life and brings me joy and continues to be with me in and out of every season, I feel so inadequate sometimes to share that even though I know how drastic my life changed when Jesus came into it. And so it feels like it's simple like I've seen the proof of, of who Jesus is and I've seen the proof of what he he came to do and what he's done in my life. But why can't I seem to get that across to somebody else? And I think it is because to some degree I was just trying all of the things that I've seen done well before. And now that I'm, I guess, at an older age to be able to really focus on sharing my faith and really become intentional about it because I've understood it more versus, you know, when you're like in elementary school, what do you know then about evangelizing? (laughs) But now that I'm aware of it, I'm going back to these things that I remember being taught and they don't seem to be working. But before we kind of dive into those practical elements, I think it would be good to remind people and kind of reiterate that evangelizing is not so much, do you think it's right? Do you think it's wrong? Because the Bible very clearly lays out the way that we should view evangelizing in scripture. So I think that would be a good place to kind of move into is just where in scripture do we see this call to evangelize? And is that as black and white as we are making the case? Well, it is as black and white as we're making out to be would be the quick synopsis of that. (laughs) Because when you look at the New Testament, it's littered with commands to share our faith and to share the hope that we have. 
and the last thing that Jesus said before he ascended into heaven. So he had died, he had gone in the tomb for three days, he had risen, and he had spent some time with his disciples, and then he gathered them to a hill right before he ascended into heaven, and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And they're like, yep, I mean, if he's the guy that rose from the dead, so we got to go with what he said, probably, <laughs> is the best thing. He says, so here's the main thing you do before before I come back. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And that's Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. And so Jesus, he gathers his disciples, his followers, the, the beginnings of the church, and he says, you know, all authority has been given to me, and so this is what I'm going to tell you to do. Go and make disciples. Go and multiply yourselves as followers of me. Bring people in. Tell them about me. Teach them to observe everything that I've commanded you and, and grow this movement of redemption and salvation that I started when I died on the cross and I rose again. He said, basically, this is what you exist for. This is why I'm leaving you here is to fulfill this mission. This is kind of your main thing. Yeah, and there's plenty of other verses that reiterate this, remind us of this, explain this. And I think it's important to note that when Jesus was saying this, it wasn't a suggestion. It was a command of what believers are to do with the gospel. And he did promise that he would equip them and that another would come when he left and that that would be the Holy Spirit who would come and equip you to evangelize. But it's not a question of, am I gifted with the gift of evangelism in the way some are gifted with teaching and some are gifted with mercy and help and even just giving. Some people have the gift of giving over others, but... Usually rich people. Well, hey, God has <laughs> God has equipped them to fulfill that gift. So, uh, but moving back to what I was saying is the idea of evangelism is not limited to a gift. Some people certainly have this gift and it's very strong and it's very evident, but it's not an option for believers. It's something that Jesus himself has called us to do. And in Romans chapter 10, verses 11, and then we'll jump over to verses 14 to 15. It says, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news of Jesus. So it just makes this, sense. <laughs> well, it, it's like, it's, if you call on Jesus, you'll be saved. But how can you call on Jesus if you haven't heard about him? And how can you hear about him unless somebody tells you? Right. So in order to know about Jesus or hear about Jesus or even be aware of Jesus, someone needs to have told that to you. And that's the mission of Christians. Every Christian is on the same mission. And I had heard this in one of my uh, seminary courses, and I think it was probably the single most striking statement to me about evangelism. It said there's one thing on this side of eternity 
that we will not be doing when we get to heaven. Meaning you will not have this opportunity to do this one thing on the other side of eternity. And that is sharing the hope and faith of Jesus. So you are on a time clock in terms of sharing your faith because everything else we do in terms of our Christian walk will be enhanced, will be heightened, will be fulfilled, will be in its fullest glory right, like on the, the other church, side of eternity. It's going to be the best worship services. Right. It's going to be the best fellowship. It's yeah. going to be the church potlucks. You're going to have the best casseroles. <laughs> but evangelism will be a thing of the past because it'll be too late. Evangelism will not exist on the other side of eternity because everyone who's there, but they're saving faith in Jesus. And so... That is our one call on this side of eternity that will not be on the other side of eternity. And that's pretty weighty. Like when you think about it in those terms, you realize this is why Jesus still has you here on this earth. This is why you still have breath in your lungs on this side of eternity is to continue to share the gospel, continue to share what he has done and continue to plant those seeds in people. Of course, you are not the one who saves anyone. It is not through your doing. But God does call you to go forth and share. And we need to be people who take that seriously. And we need to be good stewards of that. Because it's a high calling. But it's one that Jesus himself gave to all believers. Right. And so that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.22, I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. And implicit in that is that people need saving, mm. that they are lost, that they, if they die in their lostness, will be eternally lost and separated from God. And so we need to do you know, all things that, that we can to share the message of Jesus that by any means we might save some. Mm-hmm. And Paul also says in 2 Timothy 4, 5, as for you, Timothy, as he's talking to him, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And so implicit in that is that the ministry that we're called to is the ministry of an evangelist. It's going to require suffering. It's going to be, it's going to require sober mindedness, but that's the call that we have because the stakes are pretty high. And it just makes sense that if we really believe in who Jesus is, then it doesn't make any sense to not have a sense of urgency mm-hmm. about spreading that message. And an atheist of all people understood that. Yeah. So uh, Penn Gillette of Penn and Teller, I mean, this is an often quoted it's, thing he, that he said, yeah. but it's so compelling because he's like an avowed atheist. Like he doesn't believe there's a God. He is very adamant. He's thought through it a lot. He's, he's just, you know, a quintessential atheist that he doesn't believe there's a God. But it's interesting what he says about Christians that don't evangelize. He says he has no respect for them. And so he says, uh, quote, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. And that's another word for evangelize. I don't respect them at all. If you believe there's a heaven and a hell and that people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and to not tell them that? If I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point at which I tackle you 
And this is more important than that. Mm. End quote. So Penn Jillette, what he's saying is it's the epitome of hatred to believe that Jesus is real, that he is the one way to God, that there's a heaven and a hell, and then to somehow think it's wrong to share that or try to convince people of that. It makes no sense. It's how much you have to hate somebody to just not care whether they live or die. And there could be a piece of today's culture that maybe Christians or younger Christians of these generations um, that you had quoted the statistics on earlier, that maybe the dilemma is they don't really believe Jesus is the only way to heaven, those Christians might believe this is the way that I have found to heaven and maybe you have found a different way to heaven and that's okay. We're all good. We're all going to get there in the end. But Jesus is very clear about that not being truth, that he is the only way. And to many people, even some Christians, that sounds very offensive. That sounds unfair. That sounds wrong maybe that there's only one way and how are you going to tell me all these other religions aren't the right answer and that's a heavy question to deal with that's a heavy question to wade through but even if you're wrestling with it it's very clear that that's what Jesus says and that's the truth of it that all of these other religions are going to try and share a better life and try and share what it is to live a better life on this side of eternity, and maybe even promises of another side of eternity. But Jesus is truly the only one in all of the religions that is actually going to give you eternal life. Yeah, and that's why he said, no one gets to the Father except through me. And and the fact of the matter is that contradictory statements can't be all true at the same time. So we can't believe in different versions of heaven and they all exist. We can't believe in different creators and they all simultaneously exist. Like the the earth can't have multiple origins, that the afterlife can't have multiple versions of it. That's like reality, as much as we want it to be, is not actually relative. And What's more is that if you are a follower of Jesus, we don't believe in an afterlife similar to other religions. Like we don't believe in kind of a nirvana-like metaphysical state that happens or or maksa or some kind of disassembled reality, uh, some kind of like self-actualization, pie-in-the-sky kind of version of heaven. And this is where I think that... um, Many, even Christian teachings about heaven have hindered us Mm -hmm. because we're not getting a real picture because Jesus came fundamentally as a political figure, a king over a kingdom. And when he returns, he will bring that kingdom back and we won't be pie in the sky, floating around, surfing on the clouds. There will actually be a, a physical brick and mortar kingdom on the earth that is ruled by Jesus. And uh, all that's within that kingdom will be brought into a fully redemptive state. And so if you really believe that, there's not really a lot of room for other versions Mm -hmm. of getting to that. Because what we're talking about fundamentally is a tearing down of creation, physical creation, the earth as it is, and rebuilding it up in the image that, that Jesus created it to be here. Like heaven will come to earth 
And so when you come to that realization, like there's just like it just doesn't make sense for a pluralistic understanding to be what we believe. Like it's just it just doesn't fit. Like it just is not logical. Yeah, and it requires you to step out of what culture has taught you and actually think through it a little bit deeper and see how is it possible for every religion to be right and it's not. At the end of the day, there's going to be winners and losers. Well, At the end of pretty... the day, there's going to be someone who was right and someone who was wrong mm-hmm. in these religions. I've, I've put all my, my chips on Jesus because not only have I seen the, the transformation he brings in my life, but also just looking at it from an objective perspective, mm-hmm. and this is probably another podcast to talk about, it, it just makes the most sense to me. It's the most compelling evidence that he is who he says he is as opposed to all these other religious philosophical understandings of the world. Right. And I remember when I was in my really early twenties and I had already been a Christian for like six or seven years and I really struggled with how do I know this is the right choice? How do I know this is the right religion? So I actually did a survey of religions in undergrad and I did a few courses on um, Islam and I did a few other religious courses that were not related to Christianity. And in the end, after weighing all of them out and just trying to think of them from an objective point of view, I fell in the same place that you did of understanding that Jesus is who he says he is. Right, because Jesus is either the only way or he's not a way at all. Exactly. Because all these religions can't be true. One one has to be true and another has to be false because they contradict one another. Mm-hmm. And so when we come from that understanding, there are people who are right and there are people who are wrong about this. There are winners and losers at the end of the day. And if you're convinced of it, put all your chips on that and try to recruit as many people as you can. Because if you believe that you're on the only ship that's not going to sink, mm-hmm. then people's feelings about you or whether they think you're a jerk or not or whatever in this grand scheme of things is irrelevant mm-hmm. because if you do all things that by all means you might save some the sum that you save that means a lot yeah and i think you're right that understanding of other religions and thinking through that might be a completely separate topic but oh yeah because it's a very back, large conversation it's a very large conversation and and maybe that would be a good podcast i'm not sure Um, But going back to what we were originally talking about is evangelism and it being central to the Christian faith. And earlier you had alluded to a few ways of doing evangelism for previous generations that worked really well for them. And I've tried some of these and I've fallen on my face. (laughs) And they don't work well now because of the way that culture has changed and the way that things are uh, drastically different. And we had talked through one of the main reasons methods and tactics that had worked previous generations don't work now is because we're really starting from a different point where at one point we did have a relatively Christian culture. Yeah. Christianish. We had some building blocks like reverence for the Bible Mm -hmm. kind of, we all kind of agreed on the same right and wrong. And so people who knew they were sinning, there was a sense of guilt there, a sense of kind of communal guilt that you could tap into that and say, well, here's a solution to that. Yeah, but we don't have that culturally anymore. Ain't nobody There's, guilty about nothing. Nobody agrees on what right and wrong even is. There are plenty of people who have never seen a Bible, who have never picked up a Bible or 
touched a Bible. And I think for previous generations, that's shocking. Now, whether or not they read it is different, but a lot of people owned it. You know, they knew what it was. They went to church on Sunday. Like it was just part of the culture. And that is no longer a staple and a foundation within our culture, which means when we begin to have these conversations, we're starting from a completely different place. And just a side note on that. This isn't to say that Christianity, the actual followers of Jesus, like they're falling off with kind of the ensuing generations. It's just the cultural Christianity that kind of act as an insular layer to the church that no longer exists. So kind of the true church is there, and I don't think it's shrinking necessarily, but that insular layer of kind of fake Christianity, but cultural Christianity, but some of the building blocks are kind of there that you could convert them. Those easy stepping stones just aren't there anymore. Right. And so to ask the question of where would you go if you died today? Are you going to go to heaven or hell? That's you're starting with an understanding that that person believes in heaven or hell. I mean, that they even believe either of those places exist and they're going to tell you, oh, yeah, I know I should be doing X, Y and Z and I could get to heaven, but I'm not. So I'm going to hell. That's not even a starting point anymore. Like you actually need to back up quite a bit because there are plenty of people who would say they don't even agree heaven and hell exist. So when you ask them, are you going to go to heaven or hell? And they're like, neither, neither one of them are real. I don't even believe in a God. They're not even real places. God doesn't exist. I'm just going to die and that's going to be the end of it. So an afterlife of any form to some does not exist. So that's why some of those methods don't work. Um, So knowing that we're starting from a different point and we are dealing with a different culture and a different generation of people based on views, what would you say could be some effective ways to evangelize in today's culture? And I think now uh, people generally have a pretty good and a pretty high self-regard. That's, I think that's one of the positive things about our culture, actually, is this, this sense of the goodness of humanity. You know, it's a very kind of reformed understanding to understand the depravity of humanity, the sinfulness of humanity, and that's all true. But simultaneously, what is true is the the goodness of humanity. And so I'd start there and say, you are created in the image of God with great purpose. There are so many good intentions of your heart, but then I'd flip it to the problem. You never reach your potential. You have so many good things within you that you are unable to do. You are so imperfect. You try and try and try. To, to accomplish these good things, and, and you just aren't able to do it. You, you just aren't able to do the right thing as often as you would like. You just aren't able to step into that as much as you would like. And that's because you're broken. And you're broken because uh, of the sinfulness that is, that is in this world. And, so it, and it's not that different from what we were saying before, but it resonates, I think, now in a way that we're meeting them at their starting place. And then from there, you introduce Jesus, who lived a perfect life, who died, and rose again, and by his death and resurrection, you put your faith in him, and his Holy Spirit comes into you and begins to redeem and restore, and you're able to become this person of purpose, of goodness, that you always knew you were meant to be. Like, your soul knows you were meant to be it, but you were never able to step into it. Only through Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit are you able to do that, that's a work that starts now. It continues into eternity. That version of the narrative, it focuses less on guilt and punishment and relief of that. It focuses more on your sense of purpose and your sense of calling. And it focuses less on the guilt because that's kind of less of a motivator for, for this generation. I think both sides are true because obviously when you come to faith in Jesus, your guilt is removed. 
your shame is removed and you're given purpose. Whereas in previous generations, they're like, just remove the guilt and I'll be good. This generation is like, I don't have any guilt. Yeah. And you bring them to a place of realizing they have sin. Right. Because you have a lot of people who are like, well, I'm a good person. And that's kind of the starting point now is they understand, yeah, I have some flaws, but those aren't anything serious. So you just have to have that discussion in a different way. And I think that would be a more effective way just because you're actually weighing into where people's minds are now and their worldview and their way of viewing society and their way of viewing themselves. And Jesus has something to say about that. And it doesn't mean that you throw the gospel out. Absolutely not. You're keeping the gospel, but it's okay to free yourself of some old methods that once worked. Then that's, again, to beat this over the head, what Paul was referring to when he Mm -hmm. says, I become all things to all men that by all means I might save some, you got to change your tactics to fit the people. Yeah. And so some tips that we just wanted to share about sharing your faith. Like, how do you do it? How do you actually do it? Because what Dale had just described, I have never sat down and had one single conversation (laughs) with anybody and ran through it the way that Dale just explained it. And so you might be feeling a little overwhelmed, like, wow, I need to like memorize a script or I need to go through some talking points. And I think you're, you're putting a little bit too much pressure on yourself to have to feel like you need talking points. Yeah. And even like as, uh, someone who grew up in church and like would hear sermons on evangelism, I would always be made to feel like so shamed and guilty for not doing it and not doing it the way that they told me to and not being able to like close the deal or Mm. whatever. And so I, my hope is that we would be able to kind of one emphasize the importance of this, but two, at the same time, do so in such a way that's encouraging more than it is condemning. Because it's hard. I mean, I don't have the gift of evangelism. I've seen people who do. It's crazy. They walk up to people on the street and say, hey, what do you think about Jesus? And then like 10 minutes later, like the person's like crying in their arms and they're taking them to church. I have never once done that in my life. Uh, I don't have that gift, but I still have the duty. So we just want to encourage you to do it in the way that fits your gifting and your personality and not have all this pressure on you. Know that it's a work of God and not a work of you. Right. But at the same time, give you some kind of tactical tips here on how do you do yeah. it. Yeah. And so a great place to start is to start with your friends because they know you. Hopefully they trust you if you if you call them friend. They know your life. They've seen your life. And hopefully they've seen transformation in your life and that be Jesus. And so those are good places to start because you can talk to a friend and begin to share pieces of your life with them. Part of sharing your life with them is sharing Jesus with them. And you know where they're coming from. You hopefully know words that become really offensive to them immediately. And you know soft ways to to mention Jesus. Or you know very direct ways to do it. And so starting with friendships is one of the best places to start. And I would say in my own personal experience, that has probably been the number one area that I've been able to see evangelism happen. It hasn't been through what I call like (laughs) cold calling people or cold sales or (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's just been through relationships and it's been through people seeing me go through some really traumatic things in my life and then saying, wow, you didn't you didn't quite respond the way that I thought you would. And 
before you know it, we're entering into a conversation about Jesus. And the next thing I would like to say is don't, of course, don't be weird when you share your faith, but don't be so shy about it either. If you're in a conversation and you feel someone say, wow, I really thought you were going to handle that situation differently. Like what happened? You can easily naturally shift that into a conversation about Jesus and it would be genuine. It would be honest. It would be part of your story. Surprisingly, they would probably be very open to hearing that. Shockingly open. In my experience, and I think this is another thing that like churches like, oh, we're adversarial to the world. They want to get us. They want to close us down. They want to persecute us. By and large, it's super not true. Like people are way more open to you sharing about your faith, uh, especially if they trust you. And you start if you're just a good friend to them and they want to know about you. They're a lot more open than you think. Yeah. And so I've seen those same friends who have been upset about signs that say, you know, you're going to hell. Yeah, those are not offensive. Not an effective strategy. That's not effective anymore, and maybe maybe it was at some point, but it's not anymore. And I've seen those same friends be utterly offended and disgusted with Christianity, but then I can have an opportunity to have a conversation with them just about what's happening in my life. Chances are they're longing for that same transformation that you've seen in your own life. Yeah, and so I think non-Christians aren't so much offended by Christianity as they are by Christians being jerks. And so if you're just a good friend and uh, you're there for them, it buys you a lot of influence in their life. Uh, And then you can just share what what Jesus has done for you. And I think in that same vein, you you don't have to be afraid to kind of take it slow. Like you don't have to seal the deal in one day. Just keep inviting them to church. Just keep sharing with them. Just keep being a good friend. Keep praying for them. Just all those things, like just be... (laughs) Being a, a kind, warm, caring, hospitable person that Jesus has called you to be anyways, over the course of time, that will have an effect. It will. And the process of salvation for some is an overnight thing. But for many, you'll find that it's been 20, 30 people who have spoken into their life, who've invited them, who've said something. And it's the Holy Spirit building all of those things up through all of those obedient followers until that point comes to where that person comes to a saving faith in Jesus. And as we know, and as many preachers have said, like it's not through your work as the person who's going to save anyone, but Jesus does allow us to be part of his work. And you might be the one who sits down and It's a conversation and it's very clear that person has come to faith. I think that's maybe happened once in my life. And so those moments are actually more rare than as the Bible, you know, describes it. Those who are called to plant, those who are called to water, those who are called to toil the soil. There's all these other parts of the process. You might not be the harvester. You might not be the one who seals the deal as Dale has been describing it. But it Make doesn't the sale, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I prefer harvesting. I'm not a closer over whatever your analogies. But as a believer, Jesus has allowed us to be part of that process in some way, and so our responsibility in that is to be obedient. And the Holy Spirit will do everything else. Right, and God's going to use somebody, so you might as well let Him use you. 
Thanks for listening to the Her and Him podcast. If you enjoyed hanging out with us, consider subscribing to the podcast to receive it automatically each week. We'd also love it if you head over to iTunes to leave us a rating and review. And be sure to come visit us at herandhim.com where you'll find show notes for this episode, our blog, and other resources to help you experience the abundant life that Jesus promised us. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.